I invite you to open your Bible or one of the few Bibles for the reading of God's holy word from the Gospel of John, chapter 20. The reading will begin at verse 19. This is the account of Jesus' appearance to his gathered disciples on the night following the day of his resurrection, that is, on the evening of the first day of the week. Let us ask the Lord to bless the reading and hearing of his holy word. Almighty and ever gracious God, we rejoice in the victory of your Son, Jesus Christ. We rejoice that he gives us the victory and that the victory won is applied to the hearts of your elect people by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we might be born anew to live forever as your people in this world and the next. Send forth your word and the power of your spirit so that it will accomplish that which you purpose. We pray, O oh God, that you would humble the proud, comfort the weak, direct the wayward, and build up the body of Christ that we might live as more faithful witnesses to the glory of your name. Amen. Let us hear the word of God. The Gospel of John, chapter 20, beginning at verse 19. On the evening of that day, that is Sunday, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And now unto him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, power, and dominion forever and ever. Amen. If, and I said if, if the resurrection of Jesus were nothing more than a happy ending to an otherwise tragically sad story, myth, or legend, if the resurrection of Jesus were nothing more than a happy ending to what seemed to be a tragedy, then the four Gospels would have ended with the account of Jesus' resurrection on that first Easter morning. The Gospel of accounts would have ended something like this. The disciples go to the tomb sad. Jesus appears. Then they are glad. Hooray! 
and then everyone lives happily ever after. I'm sometimes afraid that we sort of kind of think about Easter that way. But that's not how the Gospels end. All four of the Gospels show us that there is something more to come. The true story continues, and that true story continues in a way which includes you and me. So let's see. Now, each of the four Gospels tell us that Jesus appeared to his disciples, his body having been raised from the dead, not only only to prove to them that he had, in fact, been raised from the dead, but also to show them, to reveal to them the life, the resurrection life, the life of the resurrection body, which comes through faith in him. As 1 Corinthians chapter 15 teaches us, Jesus' resurrection, the resurrection and transformation of his body is the pattern, the first fruits of the resurrection of all those who believe in him. Philippians 3.21 says that Christ himself will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. And though it is a mystery, the Apostle Paul calls it a mystery. 1 Corinthians 15, 51, lo, I tell you a mystery, a mystery which is beyond the comprehension of our finite minds. Though it is a mystery, true believers in Christ are assured by the resurrection of Jesus that our bodies will likewise be raised and transformed for everlasting life in the new creation when Christ comes again. And this is one of the major points that Jesus was making to his disciples when he showed them his hands and his side. His body had been raised from the dead. And his body had been transformed in such a way that it was no longer restricted by the laws of nature in this creation. And so, for example, they were behind locked doors and suddenly he appeared to them. In other instances, he would mysteriously appear and just as mysteriously vanish from their sight. His body had been not only raised from the dead, not merely revived from the tomb, but raised into a new life, a transformed life or life in the new creation. And that is the promise of the gospel to you who believe. As I often say at the graveside, and I love to say it, As I often say at the graveside, and I love to say it, I love to say this. Perhaps I will say it at your graveside. Imagine, imagine 
Imagine you. Imagine you fully alive. Fully alive with a soul that cannot sin and a body that cannot die. In a new creation completely free from sin, evil, sadness, sorrow, suffering, and death. Enjoying life forever in the loving fellowship of the triune God and his redeemed elect people in a world filled with his perfect and holy love. Imagine you fully alive with a soul that cannot sin in a body that cannot die in a world of perfect, infinite, everlasting love. That is the eternal life promised and revealed in Jesus Christ for all who love him and are united to him in a bond of true faith. And this very moment, Jesus Christ, by the power of his word and spirit, calls you to come to him, to receive the eternal life he has obtained by his death and resurrection. He is the risen Lord and he grants the victory of his resurrection life to all who come to him in humble, repentant, believing, trusting, loving faith. Jesus said, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son, that is to say, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who trusts in me should have eternal life, eternal resurrection life, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's the guarantee of Jesus Christ in the fullness of his resurrection from the dead for all who come to him and humble themselves in trusting themselves to him. Does your heart hunger for that resurrection life? It can be found only in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. But as we shall see from this passage, the promise of our resurrection has to do with not only our life in the future world, but also with our life in the present world. We see that from this passage. The promise of the resurrection ought to make all the difference in the way we live our lives on earth. Do you live your life on earth now in light of the promise of the resurrection and glorious transformation of your body? 
It ought to make all the difference in the way we live our lives on earth now. John tells us that on the evening of that day, that is Resurrection Sunday, the first day of the week, mark that, we'll come back to it, Lord willing, next Sunday, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, that is the Jewish authorities, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. <laughs> now let's just pause a minute and imagine that scene. Just put yourself into that scene. I mean, think about it. Let, let yourself get into this a little bit. You're locked behind closed doors in fear. You and your friends are confused, you're, you're excited on the one hand, you're nervous, you're not really sure what's going on. Something is, has, has happened, but you, you, you really can't get your head around it, and then there you are, still in fear, locked behind closed doors, and then suddenly, out of nowhere, a man appears in the locked room. And he greets you in the very usual, ordinary, common way a Jewish man would greet you on any ordinary day. Peace be with you. <laughs> I, I, I don't know about you, but when I, when I imagine that, I, I think there's something delightful about this. I, I, I think maybe, maybe, maybe there's even something playful about Jesus here. I, I, I don't know, but, but it strikes me. <laughs> Suddenly he appears. Peace be with you. <laughs> and so Jesus really wants his apostles to be at ease, and he, he wants them to be happy. You know? Be cheerful, not fearful. He wants them to see and understand, yeah, yeah, yeah. He really is the sovereign Lord and that there is nothing to fear because he is with them and they are in his care. Peace be with you. Now John Calvin comments that in this greeting, the ordinary Hebrew salutation, the word peace denotes, quote, all that cheerfulness and prosperity, blessing, which is usually desired for a happy life. The phrase, therefore, means, may you be well and prosperous. I've come to bless your life. Now, just imagine your head is spinning with all the events that have taken place in the last three days. A man who had been crucified and buried appears in a locked room wishing you well. I think it conveys a kind of surprising joy. The surprising joy that can arise only as life arises out of death. And certainly it would be hard, impossible to imagine what it really would have been like. And surely their heads were spinning all the more. But to make sure that they knew that it was really he, really he, he showed them his hands and his side. He showed them that he, the one who had been crucified, 
had in fact been raised from the dead in the very same body that had been laid in the tomb. His resurrection was real, not a figment of their imagination. He showed them his hands and side, proof positive to cast out all their quite natural doubts. And John says, don't you love this one? Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. <laughs> you think? <laughs> what an understatement. <laughs> Put yourself in that scene. How would you have felt? Well, then Jesus repeated that same greeting. But this time, perhaps, perhaps with a little more seriousness, perhaps, with a little more gravitas, yes, peace be with you. Yes, peace be with you because of what I'm about to tell you. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Now, do you see? The story didn't end with Jesus' resurrection. For the apostles, there's a sense in which it's just now beginning. And this was Jesus' commissioning of the apostles, the commissioning of the body of apostles as his foundational ambassadors for the establishment of the church. This was Jesus' commissioning of the apostles in a kind of preliminary way. Now, I want you to think about this. The word apostle literally means one who is sent. You might notice the root word, post, in the middle of the word apostle. That's the reason we take our mail to the post office because it sends our mail. Well, anyway, Jesus didn't speak the official words of the Great Commission until the day of his ascension into heaven 40 days later. But his words here are a kind of foreshadowing of that official commissioning which would come 40 days hence. He was telling his apostles that they would be his official ambassadors and representatives in a particular way, with a particular calling, in an official capacity to establish his kingdom in the world, to establish his kingdom in the life of his church in the world. Now you just think about this. There they were hiding behind locked doors in fear. They weren't planning on going anywhere. And Jesus tells them, as the Father has sent me into the world where they crucified me, even so I am sending you into the world where they might crucify you. Peace be with you. 
Jesus showed them the reality of his resurrection life in order to embolden the apostles to go into the world as his ambassadors, as the founders of his church, fully prepared to lose their lives for his sake, believing his promise of their own resurrection. And indeed, all of them died a martyr's execution with the exception of the Apostle John, who died as a prisoner in exile under persecution. But to assure them of his abiding presence and power, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, surely, this act of Jesus breathing upon the apostles and instructing them to receive the Holy Spirit from him is an affirmation of his own divine nature. That he, in union with the Father, sends forth the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, upon his believers. And this this act of breathing on them was another kind of preliminary act, a foretaste, a foreshadowing, of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which would come in fullness on the day of Pentecost 50 days later. In the Greek and in Hebrew, the words breath and spirit and wind are the same word. So the sound of a mighty wind, which was heard on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was outpoured, was also like the mighty breath of God. God being breathed out on the believers. It also calls to mind, of course, that when God formed Adam of the dust of the earth, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now on this first Easter evening, by breathing on his apostles, Jesus was showing them that he would fully empower them with his own spirit, the very Holy Spirit of God, His very life and power would fill them. His very presence would always be with them and within them so that they might go into the world in His name just as the Father had sent Jesus into the world. And all of this became more fully revealed to the apostles and more real to them on the day of Pentecost 50 days hence, but on this first Easter night, Jesus was telling his apostles that they were not going to stay locked in fear behind closed doors. Oh no, as the Father had sent him into the world, he was sending them into the world to be his witnesses. You see what I mean? The resurrection of Jesus was not the end of the story. For the apostles, in a sense, it was the beginning of their story and therefore ours. So what about you? In Washita Parish, 2023. Are you, so to speak, locked in fear behind closed doors? because of all of the anti-Christian forces at work in our society today? 
So what about you? Are you locked in fear behind closed doors? Right where the world, the false gods and the devil want you? I hope not. I hope not. We need not be locked behind closed doors in fear. Hasn't Jesus Christ conquered death for us? Is it true? What do we have to fear? Shame and humiliation for the sake of Christ? Didn't he suffer shame and humiliation for the sake of our salvation? Social ostracism? Wasn't Jesus despised and rejected by men for our salvation? While the devil spews his lies through every media outlet and secular education system and institution, will we not speak the truth of Jesus whenever we can? As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Now, with that exhortation, I do need to clarify the fact that though you and I are sent into the world as Jesus' witnesses, we are not apostles in that official office and capacity. The apostles were a first century body commissioned by Jesus to establish his church on earth, and we had two years of the book of Acts sermon series to show us that. And as we saw in the book of Acts and in the New Testament letters, the apostles then appointed elders for every church and trained pastors and teachers to lead and guide the church in succeeding generations down to this very day today. You see? And so we minister on the basis of the authority of the apostles revealed in the New Testament, which is the authority of Jesus Christ himself. And the first century apostles were the ones who laid this foundation for us by their preaching of the gospel and particularly, especially, by the writing of the New Testament. And so an apostolic ministry is a ministry which is founded on the inerrant, infallible word of Scripture. And remember that on the night when Jesus was betrayed, Jesus prayed his great high priestly prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in that prayer, as Jesus prayed specifically for his apostles and for the work that they would do, he continued praying this way. I do not ask for these only, the apostles, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. On the night when he was betrayed, Jesus prayed for those who would come to believe in him through the word of the apostles recorded in the New Testament. And that gospel, that apostolic gospel, consists primarily in the declaration of forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus Christ. That is, 
at the very heart of the gospel, the good news that through Jesus Christ our sins are forgiven. And there is nothing that comes between us and the Father. But we have reconciliation and peace through the blood of the cross. And so Jesus said to his apostles, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This is Jesus' instruction concerning the, the exercise of the keys of the kingdom. It is Jesus' authority given first to the apostles to proclaim the gospel and to oversee his church on the basis of the gospel and then derivatively to the officers, the pastors and elders, teachers of the church through the generations to this day. Again, based on the teaching of the apostles in the New Testament to declare the forgiveness of sins to all who believe in Christ, to assure all who believe in Christ that their sins have been blotted out by his blood, to declare justification by faith and peace with God to all who receive Jesus Christ. This is the heart of the gospel. And to assure all who believe in Christ that they have life in his name. But to do that means simultaneously the opposite. And that is to declare and to warn all those who do not truly repent and believe in Christ that there is no forgiveness of sins apart from repentance and faith in Jesus Christ that there is no assurance of salvation, no assurance of heaven when you die without true repentance from sin and humble faith in Jesus Christ. To declare the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ that everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins in his name is at the same time to declare to all who do not repent and trust in Christ that they will die in their sins. And this is the authority of Jesus given to the apostles and to the officers of the church and to this day, the ministers, elders, pastors, and teachers to freely proclaim Jesus Christ as the Savior of all who will come to him, who will accept his sacrifice for them, and to warn the unrepentant that there is no other way, no other source by which to receive the forgiveness of sins other than through faith in Christ. And so even today, based on the word and the authority of the apostles, which is the authority of Christ, the ministers of the gospel in particular are charged with this duty and responsibility together with the elders of the church. And you know, we do that every Sunday. 
I hope that it's not just a going through the motions and checking the box for you. We do that every Sunday in our liturgy of confession and assurance. But of course, what we do uh, with our mouths means nothing if we do not do it with our hearts. In our liturgy of confession and assurance and, and assurance, the declaration of the forgiveness of sins is boldly proclaimed to all who truly repent and believe. But the implication is clear. For those who do not repent and believe, there is no victory over sin and death. And in like manner, the officers of the church have the responsibility, for example, of admitting members into membership based on their profession of faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. That's an exercise of the keys, receiving someone into the body of faith, the church, the kingdom of Jesus Christ on earth, and likewise the authority to excommunicate those who do, who show forth recalcitrant lack of repentance and faith. And then finally, in a derivative way, each of us as Christians can speak the word of assurance, the word of forgiveness through the gospel to one another. We all need friends and fellow disciples who will come alongside us in our time of need and brokenness and failure and speak to us the word of assurance, the forgiveness of our sins through the blood of Christ. In that way, we serve one another as the priesthood of all believers. And in that way, speaking the promise of forgiveness through Christ, we serve as Jesus' witnesses in the world, declaring the promise of the forgiveness of sins through him and speaking the truth about the need for forgiveness through faith in Christ. We are called to do that as his witnesses. In the midst of this broken world, which is seeking to justify itself by its own pride and power, we are sent into the world to declare the forgiveness of sins to the humble and brokenhearted and all who will come and receive the risen Savior. So indeed, what Jesus said to his first century apostles does apply to us today and let us go forth today from here with these words ringing in our ears, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. To God be the glory. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the glorious gospel of our Savior Jesus Christ, and we do pray in his name that you will lead us in your truth, empower us with your spirit, and help us now more faithfully to bear true witness to the risen Lord. For the glory of your name, amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith as we say together, the faith of the one church of Jesus Christ throughout history and throughout the world.
in the Apostles' Creed. Christian, in whom do you believe? I believe in God the Father. 